خود ہی کو ہر بلند اتنا کہ ہر تقدیر سے پہلے خدا بندے سے خود پوچھے بتا تیری رضا کیا ہے ہیلو اینڈ ویلکم بیک ٹو انادر ایپیسوڈ آف انڈیا کالونس اے پوڈ کاسٹ ویئر وی انریول آ کالونیل روٹس تھرو اسٹوریز اینڈ لیجنڈس وی ایم ٹو ایکسپلور ان ٹریولس فیلڈس آف آ کالونیل پاسٹ دیٹ کانسٹنٹلی شیپ دا ورلڈ ایز وی نو ٹوڈے ایم یور ہوسٹ عمر خاخ اینڈ ٹوڈے وی ہیو وت اس Ritika Chauhan as our co-host for today's episode. Hey Ritika. Hi Amar. So, without further ado, let's get down to the topic. The partition of 1947 has clearly got to be the biggest scar that has been left on the Indian subcontinent. Some even say that the partition was a price that we had to pay for the independence from our colonial masters. But When it comes down to analyzing how we got to this point, we got to try to understand the personalities who are related to partition. And one of the pillars of these ideas remains to be Allama Iqbal or Muhammad Iqbal. Through this episode, we aim to explore the life and ideas of Iqbal and the evolution of his political philosophy from being a national poet of India nationalist poet of india to being a poet who was vouching for muslim separate state we'll explore his evolution of his ideology through his poetry speeches and letters so allama iqbal is perceived in pakistan as the spiritual father who laid grounds for the formation of the state whereas the perception of iqbal in india remains to be a bit divided now iqbal is either seen as a firm and convinced muslim nationalist or he is seen as someone who was in solidarity or who was a champion of hindu muslim solidarity and in the fight of freedom from the britishers in india now iqbal's political role so far has been mainly studied as either a starting point or in connection with the creation of a separate independent sovereign state of pakistan understanding iqbal can be complex but through the podcast for giving a better understanding we are going to divide his life into two phases one where he spent writing poems on indian nationalist feelings and the other where he spends time trying to talk and convincing people of having a convincing the muslims of a muttahid qaum or a united muslim nation exactly if we sit down to analyze iqbal's poetry that way it at times does exhibit you know ardent indian nationalism and then there is this other half where he showcases firm pan islamic views we can absolutely see this divide amongst his poetry as well yes his when it comes to his identification with the indian culture and religion it was very broad and spontaneous uh, for example um, before he went to cambridge and before he returned from cambridge after studying philosophy there his poems expressed a sense of reverence for uh, hindu gods sikh religious leaders and a sense of deep regard and feeling or connection with the uh, motherland see umar if we take iqbal with that approach he does sound complex it's not how we have always been perceiving of him he's either been put into you see a 
clear black box or a very divisive white box exactly um so before we can dive into the conversation of trying to break down ikbal's um, evolution uh, his his shift i believe we must first start to consider the two major aspects uh, which will serve as a basis for our further understanding now one of it is his heterogeneous philosophy or his political ideology and the second is the reflection that the reflection of his ideas into his poetry which was which was kind of the driving force the vehicle so maybe this is how we can be able to put a platform to have a very lenient understanding of his political ideologies for example in his early poetic life uh, he was someone who glorified uh, nationality and brotherhood brotherhood of muslims and hindus together the unity of these four um we have seen as poetry uh, when it comes to tarana-e hind sare jahan se acha hindustan hamara especially the lines of mazhab nahi sikhata aapas mein bair rakhta so he also in his in in that phase his early phase of political uh, poetic life he drew upon hindu muslim sikh traditions and symbols and ikbal began to emerge as a leading indian poet who spoke about this national integrity between communities that were living in the subcontinent so there are instances in his poems where he also refers uh, guru nanak as mard ikamil or or the man uh, an accomplished man and he speaks of ram uh, lord ram as uh, imam e hind or the spiritual leader of of the subcontinent so what was even surprising for me to learn was how he took pride in his uh, brahman ancestry although ikbal was not directly linked to politics at that time his poems were still the vehicles or the propagators for solidarity between hindus and muslims so this provides us an explanation as to his first part of ikbal's life the first half as we spoke even during this life even his description of uh, having democracy or or the idea of india uh, or or a free india for him was similar to the ideas of gandhi or uh, the ideas of tagore the way they gave it, it was quite similar or even based on the same uh, along the same lines exactly i mean which is evident i agree with that and from what you see numerous scholarly works have provided a free skin through them his idea of democracy had four basic aims one which talked of equality other which talked of a community life community life in the sense where he defies the notion of territorial existence and then there comes this idea of khudi khudi which is his philosophical idea wherein he says of an ideal human he talks or explains the basis of an ideal human and then comes the true form of religion and then obviously in ikbal's case islam so how does the transition of ikbal happen from his political philosophy of integrated nationalism to something of muslim separatist nationalism or for say pan islamism what are your views about it so it's quite evident um most of the transition that happens uh in the life of ikbal the shift is the time he spent uh in cambridge now while he was in cambridge doing his post doctorate in philosophy he came across uh, other enlightenment philosophers like uh, nietzsche or 
Bergon, uh, Gosset, and not just these Western philosophers whose ideas he was being influenced by and he was trying, he was building or um, constructing his new worldview. This was also also influenced by the kind of behavior the British Empire was having towards uh, the Ottoman Empire or, or talking about the European aggression on Ottoman Empire. And mind you, Ottoman Empire was the only existing Islamic imperialist power at that time. So he became uh, quite reflective on religious issues and issues of his own community. So this eventually resulted in him trying to advocate the idea of pan-Islamic unity. Uh, and he called upon Muslims around the world to unite as one political community to fight against the aggressions that are happening, both European or back in the homeland, even uh, Hindu majoritarian uh, political aggression. Like all in all, his viewpoint took a very major shift after gaining the very broad worldview, which is inevitable, I would say. And as we discussed earlier, this was the peak time when his subjective poetry also started transitioning, you know, aiming more towards serving as a moral guide. Right. Uh, It definitely acquired a high moral tone. Um, It began to start uh, carrying a sense of communitarian message, um, obviously for the Muslims. So he used his poetic talent to express uh, some of the fine ideas of Islam uh, through his powerful poetic rhetoric. And he tried uh, through his poetry, he basically tried making his poetry a vehicle to drive um, inspiration through Muslims to try and consolidate themselves as uh, one united community. The idea of Millat or the idea of Muttahid Qom that's that's reiterated through his works. So, but surprisingly, um, he has also written at times as he has lamented at the state of the Muslim community at that time. Uh, He's spoken extensively about uh, the moral degeneration in the Muslim community and uh, he gives the idea of how Muslims worship false idols of, of uh, desires and so on. And he also calls upon the hypocrisy that lies in the undercurrents of the Muslim community. And and he sees, uh, he as much as he wants to bring the community together, he also sees that there is an intense need to reform the community. And he sees the evils that are running uh, underneath. Obviously, I mean, it can clearly be seen if we analyze this poetry and if we reads through them. For example, he writes in Saki Nama, I quote here, Muji ki aag hai, nahi aag ka hai, unquote. It very evidently, you know, showcases the idea he was trying to reflect. Precisely. Um, his poems kind of started reviving the sense of, uh, reviving the memory of the public or, or the community of the glorious days of Islam or the golden age of Islam, where uh, he constantly spoke about uh, Muslims expansionism and dominion back in the old days, uh, sort of reminiscing over the past. And uh, one of his popular line kind of denotes how vividly he believed and how fervent he was in his cause for reviving uh, consciousness among the Muslim community. Uh, The line goes like, uh, Umam Kya Hai, Shamshir Rabab 
it loosely translates to let me tell you what the destiny of a nation is the sword and the dragger takes more precedence than singing and dancing that is entertainment so ikbal did not directly participate in politics but by this time his poems were beginning to expound the notion of millat the idea of a community or the uh, united community of the muslims and it exhorted muslims to consolidate themselves uh, not just on the basis of spiritual uh, common spiritual sense but also the idea of uh, coming together as a political community See, exactly because the atmosphere or the entire environment during the indian colonial period him not being a direct part of the politics but propagating obviously his sentiments was evident from the circumstances which were there during the colonial india where normal lives were vehemently you see coexisting with the politics and the governance of the country what i see is for iqbal islam was a single unanalyzable reality something which could not be divisive in a very you know ardent manner and it could not be separated from politics of course the way he talks of democracy his idea of democracy has a whole although you see he rejects the idea of territorial nationalism which in his views was a you know by product of western perversion and instead he develops this interlinked notion or interlinked perception of muslim nationalism and islamic universalism as a common basis of action as a common basis of starting that brotherhood which he again and again talks of during his poems and yeah uh, it was these ideas which together can be seen being channeled in his poetry so ikbal was essentially a poet he was not a politician um, and over the years you can see that ikbal became a poet philosopher trying to inspire an entire generation of people and he did he inspired an entire generation of people to aspire for community regeneration and instilled a sense of self confidence in them when it came to establishing themselves as a uh, not just as a community based on spiritual lines but also on political right the way he conveys the idea where he urges muslims to remodel their social life by the principles as revealed in the islamic ideals in the traditional islamic ideals even uh, you know when you see through or analyze the set of six lectures which he delivered across south india you can see an insight where he very you know cle- clearly presents to a very rational interpretation of islam which he believed according to his senses was consistent with modern philosophy and the science which was ever evolving of course also i would like to mention here that during this transitioning phase of iqbal that is if i'm not wrong around the 1920s during this transitioning phase what made the instances which made iqbal's ideas more evident were the communal uproars which were comparatively high during those years even gandhi and you know in this uh, during the same years he announced that the hindu muslim question was insoluble for him as well true um to answer the first half ikbal did give more legitimacy to the political cause of muslim nationalism giving it a sense of religious position um he tried approaching it to restore the means of exercising independent judgment that is ijtihad uh Uh, he tried to reinstill the idea of uh, using independent reasoning 
to approach not just matters of uh, religion and spirituality, but also political matters uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, an understanding through the lenses of religion. But on the broader plane, but yeah, on the on the broader plane, India was beginning to be a hotbed of communal tensions. And it was not so because for centuries, uh, people in Punjab and even in Bengal had been melting pots of cultures and a jumbled variety of Muslims and Hindus were living together side by side. Uh, not only just Hindus and Muslims, but also Sikhs, Buddhists and Christians. So Jinnah and Iqbal had themselves kind of admitted that most people in this region, which was later partitioned from India, the Punjab and Bengal, most people in this region saw themselves or identified themselves with their regional identity than they did uh, with their religious affiliation. For them, their regional identity came before than their religious affiliation of being a Hindu, a Muslim, Christian, whatever, and so on. But uh, the importance of religious identity definitely was beginning to grow. And no doubt, all of this can be credited to the divide and rule policy of the British Raj. They did plenty to encourage identity politics in India. For example, when the, the, the idea was that the British found it easier to break down the large Indian population into manageable and understandable chunks. So when the British started to define the communities based on their religious identity and they started attaching a sense of political representation to them, many Indians stopped accepting the diversity of their own thought and they began to ask themselves uh, what boxes are these that they belong to. So at the same time, the Indian politicians too were beginning to ask the same questions. Now they began to identify themselves and focus more on religious identity and made religion as the central uh, part of their policies and defining themselves by what they were and even more importantly, by what they were not. So this phenomenon displays that uh, during the times of Iqbal and Jinnah, who, who, who started their career as leading light of Hindu-Muslim unity, they ended up by forcing the creation of a separate nation state or the separate Islamic majoritarian um, state. But yeah, the arc of their career merely just amplifies that Indian politics, the way it looked as whole during that era. So even Congress was a largely secular and inclusive organization, right? So during the time of Motilal Nehru for the first 20 years of the 20th century, Congress was largely secular. So the emergence of Gandhi kind of gave confidence to religious chauvinists. When Gandhi began to mix or when he began to bring uh, spiritual sensibilities into the center of politics, it kind of stirred up the extreme and divisive passions. Fundamentalist Hindus who were so far a rare scene in the politics of India, they began to gather and dedicate themselves to the formation of communal nations. For example, uh, organizations like Hindu Mahasabha or the RSS, they dedicated themselves to the formation of a Hindu state and they swelled in their ranks and fringes. Yeah, so this transition was no slow uh, or invisible political trend. Yeah, I agree because it was pretty much evident in the mainstream politics as well. And the question of Hindu fundam fundamentalism did strengthen the opinion Iqbal had for Muslim politics. 
and it was very well exemplified because when the Nehru report in 1928 accepted the Dominion status and recommended the removal of a separate electorate of Muslims in constituencies where they had a majority, the Muslim League very understandably had a strong reaction and likewise Iqbal opposed the report too because it denied Muslims their legitimate political rights. In 1927, that Iqbal directly entered politics by siding with the Shafi faction, which was created as a result of a Muslim League dividing into two halves, other led by the very well-known man, Muhammad Ali Jinnah. His philosophical and religious notions seem to have conceived directly within the political governance during this time. As we've discussed earlier, since Iqbal was opposed to territorial nationalism, in his idea of the state, spiritual and temporal issues were actually inseparable. And Islam was a theocracy that realized the spiritual and human organization, according to the ideas which he gave. His, also, his uh, ambiguous address at Allahabad Muslim League session in 1930 does gives us some idea about his notion of a Muslim homeland and the ideas he was trying to propagate. Right. Um, talking about how Iqbal felt about the Nehru report and the Simon Commission, he did feel that uh, it was denying Muslims their political right. And uh, he did express his desire to free Muslims from the geographical limits that were imposed by the British. Um, he definitely spoke in favor of a separate area for the protection of Muslim culture and identity. When talking about his ambiguous address of the Allahabad Muslim League in 1930, it, as you said, it does give us an idea of uh, how he perceived this Muslim homeland to be. But what is more important that he perceived this to be the ultimate solution to the communal problem in India, to the communal divide in uh, the question of Hindu Muslim in India. So the Iqbal's state vision is as thus. So Iqbal vision to amalgamate Punjab, Northwest frontier, Balochistan into a single state. Now, this state was supposed to be a self-government state. Within or without the British Empire, it's a completely different question. But he envisioned these states to be brought in either within or without the British Empire's existence. Now, a consolidated Northwest Indian Muslim state appeared to him to be the kind of final destiny of Muslims of Northwest India. I want everyone to also notice that how he does not speak about other Muslim populated regions such as Kashmir, Bengal, uh, parts of uh, United Provinces, Hyderabad, or so on. He is talking about the Muslims of Northwest and an area designated to the Muslims of Northwest. Now, let's see what uh, Reginald Copeland, who was an imperialist, uh, imperialist constitutional historian, had to say about uh, the speech of Iqbal. He, he seems to have an opinion on this, where uh, he believes that his speech could have been interpreted in multiple ways. And one thing that Reginald says is that Iqbal never contemplated a completely separate state, but what he was looking to was having a Northwest autonomous region, which was within an all India federation. So you have a federal 
you have an Indian state and a federal relation between the autonomous Muslim region of Northwest and the government of India. It is also interesting to note that Iqbal excluded uh, native Indian states from this idea of his Northwestern Muslims autonomous region. Uh, he is not including any native Indian state or princely states in this idea, as I said, Kashmir. Um, but all of this was obviously in sharp contrast to what the Congress had been or what the other nationalists had been aiming for. They wanted to have a unitary form of self-government that was uh, linked with the ideas of Swaraj, a united Indian government. And, 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 but Iqbal here supported a plan for a federal India with a strong emphasis on provincial autonomy. And he visioned not a separate sovereign state of Pakistan, but what he visioned was a separate northwestern region with autonomous federal powers that they can still exercise until uh, inside a united Indian government. And interestingly, this turns out to be the initial seed where the idea of reorganization first comes into place. And also to mention here that until this time, Jinnah and Iqbal weren't in any direct proximity. It was after Muslim League's defeat in 1936 elections that Iqbal and Jinnah somehow came close together. Because obviously Iqbal realized the weakness of the Muslim League in the Muslim majority provinces and was conscious of the vulnerability of Muslim interests under the all too powerful Congress hegemony. And that is where he shares several ideas and philosophical bases and whatever he wished to propagate with Jinnah for the protection of the Muslim political interests. Obviously, Jinnah and Iqbal shared a very brief political relationship, I have to mention. Right. Um, the relationship Jinnah and Iqbal shared was brief, but it was very impactful. Uh, one can examine it by the dialogues that were shared between both of them. Uh, one of these was when uh, Iqbal writes to Jinnah asking him to refute uh, Nehru's aesthetic socialism. Quite many other letters were also written. A lot of correspondence that happened between the two. Uh, other letters which followed had sense of uh, a guiding tone for Jinnah uh, and suggestions on a separate federation of Muslim majority areas uh, within India. Uh, but then again, a lot of this correspondence does not survive. So we have very little uh, understanding of the relationship Jinnah and Iqbal shared because this was as brief as uh, just not more than a year before the death of Iqbal. Like all in all, Iqbal was someone who blazed a trail that Jinnah followed thereafter. And it was initially Iqbal who conceived an idea of Pakistan and it was Jinnah who realized it after all of it. Yeah, I mean, uh, one can agree with it because uh, Iqbal is definitely seen as an intellectual godfather of the idea of Pakistan, uh, at least in, in, in Pakistan. Iqbal gives the concept of the two nation theory that Muslims are a different nation and the Hindu are a different nation. Uh, he also gives an offer of a map which shows the redistribution and formation of a Muslim state. The nature of this Muslim state that he imagined might be different than what Jinnah achieved eventually. But he does give us an idea of, uh, or, or he does offer a map of redistribution 
and the formation of a Muslim state comprising of the Northwest and the Bengal on the other side. But all of this, uh, he had his differences with his other Muslim contemporaries. He rejected the idea of Maulana Azad, who held the very high notions of a composite and a, a composite culture of India and religious pluralism in the subcontinent. He strongly believed or he strongly felt against the Congress brand of nationalism. That's, that's something that we need to highlight. Uh, he believed that the Congress's idea of nationalism posed a threat to the protection of Muslims' cultural and political aspirations. Now, obviously, his political aspirations could not be limited uh, to the territorial regions of just northwest, uh, uh, northwest frontier or the northwest region, uh, Muslim region that he had imagined. Um, he wanted the merging of the Muslim nations into a universal commonwealth uh, based on the idea of Sharia, the Islamic law. This concept was quite central to his idea of envisioning a Muslim state. Uh, and it was undeniably central to his vision. But uh, both Iqbal and Jinnah uh, started their journey as Indian nationalists but eventually ended as advocates of a separate homeland for Muslims, uh, speaking and propounding on the ideas of separating the Muslims as a different nation from uh, the rest of the subcontinent. I agree. Coming down to this long discussion, there's no doubt for a fact that Jinnah actually borrowed, if that's the exact word to explain that, Iqbal's political language and then obviously choosed over his ideas and so his later political actions. Even though Iqbal's politics stems out from his poetic sensibility and his heterogeneous philosophy, Jinnah basically used this as a mechanism of political action, if I have to mention. True, I agree. Um, you can come to a conclusion that uh... Iqbal's poetic vision began to mark a distinct shift from the kind of synthetic idea or the synthetic view that he had for India to a cry for a separate Muslim homeland. Um, he eventually also became an emerging poet uh, ideologue for the idea of uh, Muslim homeland. But yeah, Iqbal did crown the dawn of Pakistan, which uh, Jinnah became an accessory of by his tactical skills as a politician and a statesman. Um, thus, one can say that Iqbal does go down in history as the herald of Pakistan and, of course, as a guide to Jinnah's uh, following political actions as they come on. And uh, Jinnah acknowledges the debt he owed to Iqbal's uh, pol political, poetic ideologies and philosophies in a speech of 1947. And yeah, to India, Iqbal still remains to be the poet of its favorite nationalist song. So that brings us to the end of our today's episode. Thank you everyone for tuning in into today's podcast. We really hope you liked it. If you did, please listen to our other episodes that cover a wide range of India's colonial past. Please consider subscribing to our podcast and sharing it with your family and friends. We are available on all podcast listening platforms and social media sites. Your support really helps us in creating more amazing content for you. Do also visit our website to check out more of our work. The link is in the description below. It is www.indiacolonized.com Colonized with an S. We've compiled a little list of books and sources that might intrigue you to explore more on India's modern history. 
So don't forget to check it out.